Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Make sure you join that travel club. Certainly, if you want to come with, we're going to Japan at the end of May, and we are going to Peru in the middle of August. So you definitely want to visit the website, TravelingCulturati.com. Join the travel club. We are going to have a fantastic time, and we have a slew of other trips that we're planning for 24 and for 25. Again, TravelingCulturati.com. Go ahead and join in on the fun. And don't forget to connect with us on social media, Traveling Culturati. Today is all about staying healthy and safe while you travel. Healthcare professional Yolanda Como is here with another installment of Staying Healthy While You Travel. And she's going to provide information and tips to apply when you're traveling in case of emergency. Yes, you always want to be prepared. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and, of course, the Culture Report. But first, let's get into a little travel news. Tipping culture here in the United States. Well, I personally think it is completely out of control. And we're looking at restaurants where tipping is 20, 30 percent, and it seems to be getting higher and higher. Now, it's not that I don't want to tip for good service. It's just a situation of it feels so obligatory right now. And when you know that people's salaries really depend on it, because without it, they're hardly getting anything. In my opinion, I think it's insulting to not only the server, but the consumer. Yes, because we shouldn't feel so obligated. It's no longer a gratuity, is it? It's then just an extra service fee for you dining there. Might as well just increase the prices and pay them a higher wage and then let tipping actually be tipping. Well, anyway, I don't want to get too far into that because what I'm talking about right now are seven countries where tipping is not necessary. These different tipping customs and cultures, should it be 10%, 15%? Well, in some cases, it should be 0%. Now, tipping customs will vary widely across the country, widely across the world, and some countries even consider it the norm, while others view it as an unnecessary or even offensive. This cultural divergence presents travelers with a moral dilemma when navigating the etiquette of gratuities. Because, you know, when we travel, we're kind of labeled. Americans have a tipping culture and we tip. But it makes also change the culture of other nations who are traveling to that destination. In a lot of cases, wages are supplemented for the employee, especially in service-oriented roles. And therefore, that's why tipping is not so much of a culture in those places. For example, in China, is historically prohibited to tip, considering that it's likened to bribery. And leaving a tip can be perceived as a personal offense to a restaurant staff or a hotelier in much of the country, although exceptions exist for tour guides and for bus drivers. In Singapore, they also discourage tipping officially, with the government stating that it is not a way of life on the island. Now, the practice is not offensive, but it is controversial, particularly in service industries. In French Polynesia, they follow suit where tipping is not customary. Even when service is exceptional, offering a gratuity may be declined by the recipient. And some restaurant guides patrons by indicating whether tips are welcome. Australia, now despite its service industry, does not expect tipping. Service charges are often included in the bills in major cities, eliminating the need for additional gratuities. Certainly, if you leave something extra, it's not frowned upon. Argentina, they have a unique situation where it's illegal to tip people working in hotels or restaurants. Yes, that's a law. It's illegal. However, the legislation is not always enforced and tips can constitute a significant portion of income. 
I've been to Argentina and I have tipped and no one declined it. <laughs> in Switzerland, it's known for its high minimum wages and typically include service charges in their prices, making tipping uncommon, but certainly not unwelcome. The same in Belgium, where wages are very high, gratuities are not expected, but are certainly appreciated. And so ultimately, you should really know before you go because you don't want to offend someone. You want to tip appropriately. And if you're an over tipper, while that may sound really good or great idea, consider the person coming behind you. It may then determine what type of service that person is getting or raise the expectations for everyone. So that's just something to consider, especially as an American traveler, since we do have a very heavy tipping culture. Now, just a few things in the headlines. FBI thanks United staff for helping carjacking victims. Special agent in charge Paul Brown wrote to United Airlines President Bret Hart to thank the airline on behalf of the FBI for assisting victims of a carjacking and abduction with accommodations as they tried to get home from Mobile, Alabama. United recognized the family had already endured a traumatic and harrowing incident and was extremely empathetic, supportive, and assured them they would get them home safely. Always love a nice story. Now, JetBlue premium ticket comes with helicopter transfer. Yes, passengers who book a premium mint ticket on JetBlue this past week enjoyed a free helicopter ride to the airport aboard Blade. The offer is open to passengers flying out of or departing from John F. Kennedy International Airport or Newark Liberty International Airport in New York City area. And elite frequent flyers also get four speedy transfers that are worth $195. Hey, that's a nice addition. What about Gen Z's? Well, Gen Z's are certainly embracing new technology. Well, it's not all new, but there are some staggering numbers to consider, especially with TikTok. 60% of travelers ages 18 to 25 use TikTok as their top choice for travel ideas, with 40% saying they booked a trip based on TikTok content and 88% following one or more travel influencers. Now, this is according to Student Universe Survey. Other trends among Gen Z travelers include an emphasis on wellness and dry vacations, a willingness to rely on AI and other new technologies, and increasing interest in eco-conscious travel options. Well, go on, Gen Z. <laughs> now, when travel imitates art, it is beneficial or is it negative? Well, recently, U.S. searches for flights to Scotland soared 159% on the first day of season two of The Traders. It debuted last month in January. The TV show also made searches for Ardros Castle surge, overtaking Scotland's most popular castles by visitor numbers, including Edinburgh, Stirling, and even British royal family residents, Balmoral Castle. Now, while it's beneficial that people like to see that uptick and interest in a destination, what does it do to the destination and how are they prepared to really handle it? I know that going to Dubrovnik in Croatia, they now have designed Game of Thrones tours. The city's all about Game of Thrones, and so that's become big tourism there. So there's definitely a beneficial and positive impact. Hot springs are becoming hot commodities, especially hot springs resorts in the United States. As wellness tourism continues to expand, hot springs resorts have risen in popularity, growing 24.1% between 2020 and 2022 in the U.S. and expected to continue climbing 14.3% annually through to 2027. And this is happening globally as well. This is according to 2023 Global Wellness Economy Monitor data. 
To keep with the times, many U.S. properties are getting major overhauls and updated amenities, like the Springs Resort in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, which is getting a $70 million revamp, and the Omni Homestead in Hot Springs, Virginia, where the circa 1700s bathhouses underwent a makeover as part of the resort's $155 million renovation. Now, AAA is spotlighting Black history on electric vehicle trips to Savannah for sustainable travel. AAA stopped in Savannah on their electric vehicle road trip to celebrate Black History Month. The purpose of the trip is to show Georgians they are able to travel throughout the state in an electric vehicle. And of course, in honor of Black History Month, they are visiting significant sites in African-American history. Savannah is the fourth city on a road tour. This is the introduction of the AAA and EV road guide. It gives an EV driver the opportunity not only to explore black history sites through the state of Georgia, but also to do so in the comfort of their EV. And this is according to Garrett Townsend, spokesman for AAA. AAA is encouraging Georgia to go green with electric vehicles and to show they are usable for long road trips. Tarika L. Haynes has put together a list of five cities and art exhibits to explore during Black History Month. One is New York City at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and their exhibit there is the Harlem Renaissance and Transatlantic Modernism. It runs through July 2024. Chicago, Museum of Science and Industry, Chicago. Black Creativity, Juried Art Exhibition runs through April 21st. Williamsburg, Virginia, Jamestown Settlement and the American Revolution Museum at Yorktown has a Black Artist Showcase that'll run through the end of the month, February. And Detroit Cranbrook Art Museum, Skilled Labor, Black Realism in Detroit runs through March 3rd. And lastly, Houston, the Museum of Fine Arts. In Houston Municipality, Blackness in Contemporary American College. And that runs through May 12, 2024. Well, there's a new lounge at Hartsville-Jackson Airport in Atlanta, and it features an outdoor seating, showers, and a whiskey bar. The brand new lounge has just opened at Hartsville-Jackson Atlanta International Airport. The American Express Centurion Lounge, located in Concourse E near Gate 11, will feature a host of amenities and is nearly 26,000 square feet. Additionally, the lounge has workstations, phone booths, showers, premium restrooms, and high-speed Wi-Fi. Food options come with a menu created by an Atlanta-based chef along with a whiskey bar. A food and beverage station at the lounge will feature a food and beverage station with gluten-free and vegan options too, including protein bites, salads, and a whole lot more. The design of the lounge is inspired by Atlanta's reputation as the city in the forest and will feature art from local artists. Yay! Well, that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, I have Yolanda Como with another installment of Staying Healthy While You Travel. This is In Case of an Emergency. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com. And while you're there, make sure you join that travel club, especially if you want to go to Japan or Peru. And we have some other fantastic destinations that we're working on for fall of 24 and spring of 25. But uh, you won't know anything about them if you're not part of the travel club. So make sure you sign up for that at TravelingCulturati.com. And now... Javon's Travel Minute. Today, think about the less conventional things that you'll want to add to your packing list. For example, Ziploc bags, small and large, 
for the large ones, you're going to put in wet items like a swimming suit didn't get a chance to dry before you're leaving or anything that you want to protect your other items from. You can put in those large Ziploc bags. Small Ziploc bags, especially for those items that have screw top lids that may spill or if something has already spilled, it'll help you with your cleanup just overall for managing. Really consider packing cubes. I've started embracing them. I don't do my entire suitcase with packing cubes, but I do use them, for example, for my undergarments so that I can have those separate. They're not just hanging out. And it just makes it a lot easier, not only for packing, but for organizing. Duct tape. Throw in a roll of duct tape. It doesn't have to be a big roll, but in the event your suitcase breaks or something like that and you don't have a chance to fix it, Duct tape will certainly hold it and will withstand it being handled by baggage handlers. And safety pins. You never know when you'll need them. When I get my clothes dry cleaned and you know how they put the safety pins in the labels, I leave them there. That way I always have them and I know exactly where they are. Just a few less conventional things to add to your packing list. This is Javon and that was your Travel Minute. Today, I'm chatting with healthcare professional Yolanda Como. As always, she's keeping us safe while we travel. And so when you think about safety, it's not just safe and healthy. So when you think about staying healthy, it's not always just about medical, but it's about being prepared and it's about knowing what to do in case of emergency. So that's what we're talking about today. Hello, Yolanda, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hi, Juan. Glad to be back. Staying healthy while you travel also means staying safe. So safe and healthy, I think, really go together. And you really wanted to talk about being prepared for emergencies. So what made you really think about that for a topic today? When you're planning for your travels, do you ever think about the what ifs? You're excited, you're planning, you're packing. But the last thing you want to think about is when you're getting excited about that trip, of the what ifs and what could possibly go wrong during the travels. So, I mean, anything can happen, a sudden illness, you can have a flight delay, I mean, a long delay, we're talking hours, overnight, all of that. What happens if there's a natural disaster? And you have seen those recently, probably a few months ago, there's been natural disasters at destinations. And I personally know someone who was involved in one, who was at the um, destination when it occurred. So. You have to start putting that in your plans as well, how to prepare for any type of emergency and how you can stay safe and escape the emergency and get back home safely. Absolutely. That is super important. But you mentioned you know of someone who was dealing with an emergency and a natural disaster. Do you mind sharing that? The recent fires in Maui. I personally know someone who was there vacationing And she and her husband, they had to escape from the hotel. They had a rental car and they stayed in their car for two days while the fires were going on. And it was close to the ocean Well, they had driven closer to the ocean. So if they had to get out the car, they was going to have to get into the water. But yeah, for two days, they stayed in their car and they camped out. They tried to find food as best as they could, use facilities, bathroom, but the fires were going on and on and on and coming closer and closer to where they were. And in some areas where they were, there was a fire happening. So they finally were able to get out and travel back home to the United States. And they had left and escaped out of the hotel with what they had on their back, whatever clothing items. So it just was an experience that she, of course, would never forget. And unfortunately, she said she would never travel to. And that was her first time going to Hawaii. She would never travel to Hawaii again. But it has left that on her that she won't return. In fact, she's not sure when she will be traveling anytime soon again at all. I'm sure that was quite traumatizing, but glad to hear they made it out of there safely. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's more on the extreme end of an emergency because there are several types of emergencies. You have something that's very light and mild that needs immediate attention, just like hospitals have the emergency room. But a lot of times they'll tell you to go to urgent care because it's not serious, serious, but it needs immediate attention. And then, of course, you have those extreme ones. So it's good to be prepared for the light to the most 
extreme and just to make sure that you at least have an escape plan. So what are some of the things we should do to be informed? You do want to know where emergency evacuation signage is when you're in the hotel. I try to look for that myself when I check in and go to my floor, just to know where stairwells are, how close they are to your room. In fact, when you go into your hotel room, the back of the door, there's an emergency escape plan, and it routes you to where the nearest stairwell is. If you didn't notice it when you were on your floor and walked into your room, it sort of gives you a picture idea. If you open the door at that moment, you can kind of guide yourself and navigate through the halls and find that escape. Never take an elevator. If there's an emergency, you want to take the stairwells. And just be cognizant of, if you are staying in the hotel, of signage and medical facilities, if there's a nearest pharmacy, possibly hospitals or urgent cares, just so you would know. I mean, anything can happen. You yourself can get ill or the loved one that you're traveling with can get ill and will require some form of emergency at that time. Now, if there is an emergency and you did have to evacuate in a hurry and it's in the middle of the night, you're going to have to make sure you're fully dressed or not even really fully dressed, but you have to grab some clothing items if you are going to run out the room to go outside. So I always try to make sure that I have my shoes ready so I can slip my feet into my shoes. I always have my cell phone or just emergency items, things that I know I'm going to grab in an emergency right by the nightstand. So I can just grab things, slip into my shoes. And I do wear pajamas to bed, so it would be okay if I just ran out in my set of pajamas. So I know some people, they don't wear pajamas or if they wear lighter items to sleep, you may want to have a pair of pants or something right there at the bedside. So you can just slip into them, slip on the shoes and get out the room as soon as possible in a hurry. Absolutely. And if the hotel has a robe, a lot of times the hotel will have a robe for you. You have that draped across the bottom of the bed, the foot of the bed or something like that, because you're right. And sometimes we've seen these photos when an emergency has happened and people need to evacuate right away, that you see people out there either in robes or they've grabbed the blanket or they don't have much on at all. So yes, that's a good point. Yeah, because you don't know what the temperature is like at your destination either, especially in the middle of the night if it's cold. I mean, you're probably not thinking of in terms, you just want to get out. And if that is the case, if you're out there in just a pair of pajamas and it's 40 degrees, you just have to deal with it at that moment. But just learn how to protect yourself in situations like that. And also prepare to know these things before you leave, because there are some destinations that are on travel alert. Even in Australia, when they had the bushfires and they had the bushfires for almost a year. Yeah. And if you're going to be traveling there, you have to know what you need to do or what the locals are doing to protect themselves from the bushfires. Um, and also if you have asthma. If you have asthma or it's Australia a destination you need to be traveling to with your health condition or something you may be involved in. So just think about that before you take that trip. The other thing I really think is super important is bring a pair of nice, comfortable walking shoes or running shoes. Because if there is an emergency and you need to leave an area in a hurry. You want to slip on those shoes and you want to start running. You see situations when there's emergencies and people are out with their bare feet. There's a lot of rubble. There's glassware, just very uncomfortable. So if you have a nice pair of shoes, you can probably get about much faster and get away from the incident and all that. The other thing, you really need to know the visa requirements of the destinations that you're going to. There's several travel visas. You know, if you leave a country or you stop, like I remember when I had a layover, I think I was in India, but I wasn't going to India. I was, I had a layover in India. I was going to Nepal and it was a long layover, probably eight or nine hours. Well, some people left the airport to go shopping and see a little bit of India and then come back to the airport so they can continue on to Nepal. Well, their visa was only a one-time traveler visa and they didn't realize that. So that made for a big problem for traveling. So know what type of visas that you're getting, you're signing up for and you're registering for before you start traveling. Well, I want to interject there because I had that happen <laughs> and I had told everyone, this was when Hong Kong still had not become China yet. And so you did not need a visa to enter Hong Kong as an American passport holder. 
but you needed a visa to go to China. And I remember when we did that trip, many people had talked about going to an area called Shenzhen, which is known for shopping and tailoring and getting really good deals that you can get to via Hong Kong. And so I had mentioned to everyone, because it's a close proximity, if you want to stop there while we're in Hong Kong, make sure you get a multi-visit visa, because if you do that, China will stamp your visa, it'll be used. And then when we leave Hong Kong to go to China, you won't have a visa. Well, I had someone who forgot about that. And last minute, we had to help find her a visa that cost like $500 to get a visa while we were in Hong Kong for her to get to China. So it's a very good tip and a very important thing that visas are usually either single entry, multiple entry, and valid for a certain period of time. So not only know what kind of visa you have, but understand the use of that visa when you're traveling, especially with stopovers and in multiple cities. Another thing is, and have you seen in the past where you have to know like the drug laws, what's allowed from other countries, like substances that you bring that may be okay in the United States or in your own country, are you able to do it in the destination that you're traveling to? And some countries are very, very strict about what you're bringing into their country that's considered poly substances and illicit drugs. So be very careful of bringing those items in because you can be arrested. And you can be retained. And in some incidents, people are being retained for years upon years. And unless the United States steps in or your own country steps in, you may be retained for an indefinite period of time. So just be very careful and know the rules and the laws. Or even not even bring those substances with you. You just kind of have to be without them. And going back to the drugs, we're talking about prescription drugs as well, because there are a lot of countries that do not allow anti-anxiety medications or prescriptions. So they're legal here, but they may be illegal in other countries. So we're not just talking about illegal drugs or recreational drugs. We're talking about prescribed drugs that may be legal here and not legal in other countries. Some countries, they have dress codes, and especially particularly for women. And it requires like head covers, no skin showing. And I mean, I know we like, if it's a warm destination we're traveling to, we want to wear shorts and sandals and have our hair flowing. But depending on your destination, it's seen as taboo there. So know what the dress codes are so that you don't get in trouble while you're um, just walking around shopping and you're showing skin and care and all of that. And, you know, just respect and abide to the rules of the country that you're traveling. Also, as I said earlier, just know the travel advisories of the destinations before you leave. Just know about the bushfires and typhoons or what's coming up on the country. Like, just you know, know about it possibly an earthquake or just be aware. Go to the travel.gov site and see what United States are putting on their front page of that website of advisories and just be informed. Also, know that you can become a victim of robbery or of assault of a crime in another country, as you are in your own country in the United States. So be aware of that and be prepared for that. Be alert and stay attuned to the travel advisories and also to your travel guide. If your travel guide is telling you, always make sure you're with several people before you're walking down the street here in this destination. Always have someone with you. Make sure you keep your person you're carrying on in front of you and not behind you. I know when I was in Paris with the group and there was signs that signage all over in the different museums, it's particularly in the Louvre that says there's pickpockers. So they were letting you know um, pickpocking was really bad in that area. So just be very, very diligent and careful uh, and be aware, be alert and aware as you're walking around and roaming and looking at statues and everything. Yeah, it's very crowded in those places and it's very tight. And so you're touching people all the time or bumping into people. So you wouldn't necessarily know if someone's bumping into you to pick your pocket. 
Yeah, and but I do recall an incident also when I was in South Africa, I think it was in Cape Town, and one of the people that was traveling in the group that I was in, I guess he went out that first thing that morning to watch sunrise, take a morning walk, and well, he was robbed. He had jewelry on, you know, a lot of gold necklaces, and he was robbed of that. I think he also had his wallet taken. So if you are going to do something like that and... You know, and I do remember the travel guy telling us to be careful if you are walking around an area to have walk-in groups and several people and not just alone because the crime in the area was pretty high. Now, what about some programs that we should sign up for that can help us and aid us in our travels? Well, you can enroll in the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. It's called the STEP Program. And you can receive important safety and security messages to make it easier for you to locate and assist you in emergencies. Like if you did have an emergency, you would be able to easily locate the embassy of the United States, a phone number. You can also leave your itinerary with someone at home to let them know exactly where you'll be at all times. And I know on the phone, some people have tracing of individuals, a family member. You can probably leave your location on for your family member as well. I think it would work internationally. Are you aware of that? Well, I do Life 360 with my parents. They're elderly, so it's a app that I've put on all of our phones. So as long as they have their phone with them, you can tell where they are. So there are several different types and apps that are out there. And, you know, Apple has their air tags and those things as well. But there are certainly apps that you can connect family members with. Definitely know of the embassy in the area or counsel it so that you will be able to reach out. You put them on your list. You can do this before you leave. You can put them on your travel list. Let them know that you're traveling to this particular destination. Here are the dates, and this is where you'll be staying. So if something did occur, they already have you registered, and they will begin the process of assisting you further if there's an incident. Travel insurance helps a lot with that, too. Travel insurance is a good go-to for assistance. If you get a good comprehensive travel insurance, they will have emergency hotlines for medical reasons, but also for evacuations and things of that nature as well. One thing that you should definitely do is before you leave, make sure that you're well before you leave. See your doctor, let them know where you're going. If it's a good idea to be traveling to that destination, if you have pre-existing conditions. And also they can advise you a little further if you're up to date with vaccinations or if you need to be vaccinated prior to going and what it require vaccinations for the destination that you're traveling to. Maybe they can take care of that before you leave. And also take the basics with you in terms of over-the-counter medications. You want to make sure you pack some anti-inflammatories like Motrin's, ibuprofens, Tylenol, acetaminophens, and any cough medication, any cough drops, eye drops, various things like that, anything that would help with immediate comfort for you while you're traveling. And I do want to expand upon one of the things that you said in your own conditions, making sure that you are healthy to travel. Because I have in my many travels and because I escort groups and have group travel that I've seen a lot. And sometimes people are not taking their own illnesses seriously and not taking their medication, maybe the excitement of the trip, falling off schedule, or not listening to their body when they've overexerted themselves and just saying, I need a timeout. You don't have to do and see everything. And certainly if your body is telling you to stop, you should stop and not reach that point where your body stops and there's nothing you can do at that point. But some of the common ones like high blood pressure medication or diabetic medication, heart disease, those kinds of things that I've seen and have experienced firsthand that someone had not taken all of their medication because of a long flight and a busy schedule. And a lot of times they take it with meals and they have certain meals, certain time of the day. And if you're traveling and you're doing tours, those meal times are thrown off. So they're all confused. They're all thrown off and they'll say, oh, I'll take it tomorrow. Oh, I'll take it later. Oh, I'll take. And yeah, but they're messing up and screwing up their own time regimen for their medication. Therapeutically, that is. So, yeah, they have to be stay attuned to making sure that they are taking their meds properly 
on schedule, on time. There will be some adjustments when you're traveling, but continue to take your medication. Not taking it isn't the right answer. Absolutely. And not putting yourself in a situation where you're now in a remote location or you're on a bus or you're just in a precarious situation and it's going to be very difficult to get you medical care. So really pay attention to your body and take care of your body. And sometimes you may have to miss out on a tour or two if you need to catch up on some things. Now, what about financial preparedness? What to do in case of emergency? Well, as I said, it could be situations where you could lose, you know, whatever money, lose your credit cards. You know, a situation where you may lose your wallet. Who knows? So I would say always try and bring some cash. I know we're going to a cashless society right now, but always have some cash stashed somewhere while you're traveling. So you can just get to it and be prepared to pay for something immediately. And you can leave it in your, I don't know, you can have a little safety little pocket in your luggage, keep it in your safe deposit box. Just have it stashed away somewhere. You can keep like at least one credit card with some high limit, either in your safe deposit box. You can download the apps to make sure it's going to be available for you in case you need it for an emergency as well. So if you think that you're taking everything that you have, because there was, I remember there was one woman on a trip that I was on her entire purse was stolen and she had everything in it. She had passports, she had wallets, credit card, cash, house keys, everything. Yeah. But I don't think she had any other credit cards or cash or anything with her that she had left behind, like in her suitcase or just anywhere stashed anywhere that she can just get to. So that became a huge problem for her because she had no money at all. Yeah, I remember that case. And I was really blown away to learn that she had every valuable possession in her bag. I was really blown away at that. And she didn't trust safety deposit boxes. So she always kept everything with her. And I hope that incident changed her because even jewelry, she had all of her jewelry in there. She had all of her cash and credit cards in her bag. She had her passports, like you mentioned. And so it was quite costly. And of course, the group helped out where they could, but getting contact with her financial institutes to assist as well. But yeah, always have... What did they used to call it in a day? Mad money? <laughs> you know, yeah. just, in, just in case you need something, you're not going to spend it. You keep it over here in case of emergencies. And yes, the same with a high limit credit card. So thank you for that. Yes. And you also should digitize. Like, for instance, on my phone wallet, I have the cards that I use regularly. They're digitized in my phone. So I really don't have to carry like hard copies, but it has your account numbers, all of that on there. And it's safe in your phone if your phone is always locked. So if you did have an incident where you did lose all that information, no, you do not have the physical credit card, but you are able to retrieve that information from your phone. The credit card number, expiration numbers and all that will be in your phone under your wallet passport. I left my purse on a plane one time, and fortunately, my cell phone was not in it, and I was able to go on the apps and freeze my cards so that yeah. no one can charge on them while I retrieved my items. You can take pictures of them. You can put them in a safe place in your suitcase or just have them all digitized. And you should do the same thing. Have extra passport, extra passport photos just in case you lose your passport. And you're going to get a new passport where at the destination you have new passport photographs and also a copy. I always keep a copy of my passport as well. So you can do all that digitally. And your health records also. I go in and show them my COVID vaccination or any of my vaccination. I have everything uploaded. I can just go to it digitally in my phone or into my medical record. Also, so if you're allergic to things, that you can have that information because that's mm -hmm. one thing that medical facilities or assistance is going to require. They're going to ask you, are you allergic to anything? And it's a step further that you can do is maybe get yourself a translation card and get those things translated in the language of the country that mm -hmm. you're visiting so that you can hand them that. Then that way, there's no language barrier. Yeah, great idea. Yeah. Okay. So anything else we need to know before we close out today and keeping us safe and healthy while we travel in case of emergency? Remember the basics. And when you're planning for your trip and your travels, just know like when you're packing and you're all excited about getting ready to go, 
always keep in mind, think of those very little things of the what ifs. What if X, Y, and Z could happen? And then how am I going to be prepared for X, Y, and Z? Well, Yolanda, thank you so much for joining me today. Always a pleasure and always informative. Thank you. When I come back, I've got the culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com. And while you're there, make sure you join the Travel Club so that you'll be the first to know when we're on the go. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report, and I'm chatting with Rhonda Harper, the visionary behind the acclaimed initiative Black Girls Surf. Yes, you heard that right, Black Girls Surf. Well, hello, Rhonda, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Thank you for having me, Javon. It's nice to be here. Yes, what a pleasure. And I stumbled upon you, of course, by Instagram and some of the wonderful things that you're doing. So super excited to be chatting with you today. So let's start with your origins. Where are you from? I am from Kansas City, Kansas, originally. I was transferred to California when I was about 10 years old. So I was born practically raised in the Midwest. So a surfing dream is far from home, but I always consider myself the original Dorothy looking for that yellow brick road. (laughs) Definitely. You said Kansas. I'm thinking, you know, I was originally maybe thinking somewhere on a coast (laughs) that would spark your interest, but you went from Kansas City to California. Is that where you were introduced to surfing? No, actually, I was introduced to surfing while I was in Kansas City. And summertime back in the 70s, there was always like Gidget movies, Beach Blanket Bingo and those type of movies that used to come on in the summer because it was so hot. You know, they would play these summertime movies so the kids would stay in courses with the air conditioning. And I started watching a movie called Muscle Beach Party. Little Stevie Wonder was in the background of all of these people surfing and he's singing. And so that's initially, it was Annette Funicello and Frankie Avalon (laughs) who actually started my interest in surfing and that whole vibe of just being carefree and being on the beach. So that's actually where it started. And then I moved to California, of course. And when we got here, one of the caveats for us kids wanting to move, actually, I think it was our bribe. It was like, we're not moving to to California unless we get a swimming pool because it was so difficult for us to swim in our neighborhoods. We came from all white predominant neighborhood. And so the going to the swimming pools back in the 70s was a little different. So when we came to California, we said, listen, we have to have a swimming pool. When we got here, when we arrived in California, the pool was absolutely filthy. It had frogs in it, everything. And my mom was like, I got to take these kids somewhere. There's six of us. And she said, I got to take them somewhere. So she took us to Santa Cruz for the first time, took us to the beach. And that Uh was the first time I actually got to see the ocean. Wow. So yeah, from Beach Blanket Bingo. (laughs) And you know what? When you said that, that song is embedded in my head. I think we all kind of grew up. (laughs) (laughs) It's immediately those notes started coming out. (laughs) But you brought up something else. And I think sometimes we're kind of far removed or how soon we forget that when you're talking about the 60s and 70s, when you lived in a predominantly white neighborhood, you could not go to those pools as a Black person. With segregation, it wasn't that long ago, and it's in a lot of our memories or our childhood memories. So now you're in California, and now you're looking at the ocean. And I'm sure those memories of the movies that you saw came rushing back like, aha, now I have this opportunity. So what intrigued you to then, you know, I want to take up this sport. So I was going back and forth to Hawaii with my parents. My dad was retired military. So for $5, you could take a hop anywhere you wanted to go to whatever country or wherever there was a military base. And so we were going back and forth to Hawaii so often that that was a natural progression. Okay, we got the beach in Santa Cruz. Now we're in Hawaii and we're seeing surfers all the time on the beach. And they were like almost the same color as me. They weren't the same 
nationality as me, but they're brown and I'm loving it. And so I had an opportunity to go and live with my sister when I was 15 years old. And we moved to the Turtle Bay Hilton, the, the resort area. And there's nothing to do on a resort for a 15 year old kid, except for swim, which I had a swimming pool in my backyard. So that wasn't a big deal. Golf, I was way too young. It wasn't exciting enough for me. And the ocean was maybe two minutes from my house, literally just walked through the resort and I was able to see the ocean. And so story has it, I was out just watching Magnum PI being filmed because they used to film at Turtle Bay Hilton. And one of the crew members asked me if I wanted to go ride tandem with him on the surfboard. I used to always be there watching them every morning. And I'm sure he saw me just one day. He was just like, okay, I'm going to take this kid surfing. So he came, asked me to go tandem. I didn't know what tandem was, but he explained it as we were walking towards the shore. And he said, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to lay down. We're going to paddle out. When I pull on your bathing suit, we're both going to stand up and we're going to ride into the shore. Easy enough. Didn't turn out so much. So you're on the board. We're paddling, paddling, paddling. He grabs my bikini front, the bottom and the top, grabs him, pulls me up. We stand up. I'm about three seconds into this wave and we both go flying off. I come up without my top. He's embarrassed. He's like, oh my God. I'm like, I'm never surfing again. So I just run off 15 year old kid, go back to my house. I say, I'm never going to surf again. I say, okay, I'm at school now about five days into school. And I find out that there's somebody going to sell a surfboard. And I said, well, how much is it? They said $25. I was like, okay, I'll buy it. And so I didn't get that one. The dad let this other kid go because he had less money than me. And then I got the one that the dad was just like, listen, I have another one. It's more beat up than the other one, but I said, I'll take it. So I took the board and I stayed out there. I was the only kid out there. So I would be out there for hours from morning to the evening, just trying to learn how. And like on the fifth day, I caught on and I've been surfing ever since. Oh, wow. Such a wonderful story. And I can certainly imagine what that would feel like. And to both of you in that moment of, oh, now I have this topless 15 year old. <laughs> <laughs> So for both of you, complete embarrassment for you and for him, but for different reasons. Exactly. <laughs> but you persevered, which is, I did. which is always a great story. It's like, okay, I'm not going to let that one incident deter me for something that I really have this interest about. But I also read, it says here, fresh from her inspiring journey in Senegal, West Africa. So what took you to Senegal? I actually have two camps now in Senegal, two surf camps. What took me there was COVID. I was filming. That was in the early part of 2020. And then COVID came out and I got locked into Senegal while I was filming. And so I had to stay there until they opened up the country and you could fly again. And so I opened up a surf school with Haju Sam, who is the first female surfer and also the first pro female surfer in Senegal. And we had brought her to the United States in 2018 to train for the Olympics. And so as you go on, you find out the Olympics is going to be canceled by COVID. She was in the qualifiers and she didn't make her last qualifier. And so she didn't make it in, but that was the reason for going to Senegal. And while I was training Haju, she asked me, she said, Rhonda, can we open a black girl surf over in Senegal? And I said, of course, <laughs> why not? And so the surf school that we were filming in at the time, the owner was, of course, being COVID, stuck outside of the country. So he asked if I wanted to purchase the company. So Haju and I went in half and now we co-own Black Girl Surf School in Dakar. And so I went over to finish training my girls because we have girls going to Dakar 2026. And also I have one that's probably going to buy for the Olympics, the LA 28. Unfortunately, there will be no African-Americans and no Africans that will be in the 2024 Paris Olympics. But we're shooting for 2028 and 2026. 26 is the Junior Olympics, and that is in Dakar, which is one of the reasons why I was over there for two months. And so just putting together the curriculum for the girls helping them design the stadium using my construction background and just going into this next phase of what we're doing with Black Girl Surf. So we partnered with Olympic and Gore, which is a development 
camp for all Olympians that are coming into the Dakar 2026 Junior Olympics. And so it won't just have just surfing, but there'll be a whole nautical section, which is rowing, life-saving, and canoeing. And then on the other hand, they have basketball, volleyball, badminton, and the rest of them. So I was over there and was put on the commission to get that going for the kids in 2026. Oh, wow. Well, you, you know, you're giving me so many nuggets here. Now, I know that Senegal is a coastal country that I know, but I yes. really never associated, mistakenly, of course, and obviously, <laughs> I've never associated Senegal with surfing. How is Senegal as a surfing destination? Senegal is an excellent surfing destination. And the thing is, is that you can surf year round. For me, the water is always warm year round. Now, the Senegalese people in their wintertime will wear a wetsuit, but I won't because our water is freezing here. You know, we're 54 and they're 80 degrees in the water. So it's a little bit different, but the surfing over there is excellent. As a matter of fact, it was featured way long years ago in a movie called Endless Summer. And it was Dakar where they first landed. And it just so happens to be in Gore where the film took place. And that place I would consider one of the birthplaces of surfing. There are so many surfers. The babies are surfing. When I was there during COVID, and it's still to this day, I saw a five-year-old pushing like a one-year-old in his pamper on a surfboard. Everybody is literally surfing because it's a coastal community and that's recreation. Now they may not call it surfing. They didn't call it surfing. They have another name for it. They speak Wolof and they have their own native languages. So they weren't associating the surf culture with what we consider in the West as a surfing culture. It was just something that they did for recreation. And I mean, everyone was surfing when I went over there. I'm going to just give one historical nugget about Hawaii and Africa when it comes to surfing. Surfing was actually discovered I say discovered because that's how they say it, discovered in Ghana way before, 100 years before they even found it in Hawaii. So if you go back now, it's Ghana, Peru, and then Hawaii. How does one follow you? So we have our IG, Black Girls Surf, on our IG. We're on Twitter. We have blackgirlsurf.org. That's two S's in the middle, everyone. Everyone's like, I can't find you. There's two S's. It's Black Girls Surf. And yes, we do. And then you can catch me at Rhonda, R-H-O-N-D-A, at blackgirlsurf.com if you have any questions or you want to sign up for the program. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. What an honor and a pleasure. And I love to end an interview where I've gotten so many golden nuggets to know that surfing started in Ghana 100 years before Hawaii. <laughs> You're welcome for that. Thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and